it helps, again, to disrupt the fixed patterning. So you don't drop into a trauma response when you're remembering something that was really um, painful for you. You're able to stop, activate your frontal lobe processing and, and sort of reorient yourself to understanding rather than escape. Welcome to The Healing Cocoon. I'm Jacoby Gray, soul alignment and success coach and energy healer, which means I can intuit the subtle layers of your energy field to promote ultimate health and well-being. My goal for this podcast is to shed light on the healing journey itself and help you feel more supported as you embark on the process of unpacking your past to consciously create your present and start living the life of your dreams. Through the study of coaching, kinesiology, holographic kinetics, meditation, Reiki, the chakra system, and many other modalities, I've learned how to release the blocks that were holding me back. Now I'd love to help you do the same. By embarking on your own self-healing process, you'll see the world transforming around you in ways you never thought possible. You'll begin to experience more connection clarity, love, fulfillment, synchronicity, and success than you've ever had before. So welcome to The Ascension. Hello, beautiful humans, and welcome back to another episode of the Healing Cocoon podcast. Today, we're speaking with my dear friend, Stephanie Keane, who I met in 2019 at a writer's group we were both part of. And since we both had a passion for healing and screenwriting in equal parts, we became fast friends. To me, the process of storytelling has always been a tool to deepen my understanding of the human condition. And absolutely, if I hadn't studied acting at university, I would have studied psychology. Well, my beautiful friend did take that path and she holds a Bachelor of Arts in Human Behavior. She's currently completing a Master of Arts to PhD psychology program with the aim of becoming a licensed psychologist. Through this education, she's gained a deep understanding of the complexities of the human psyche and the most effective ways to support healing. In her practice, she utilizes techniques such as somatic experiencing and EMDR to help clients overcome trauma-induced disorders and find greater peace in their lives. She's also a certified microcurrent neurofeedback clini clinician. That is a mouthful. <laughs> which means she has um, received specialized training in using microcurrent technology to help clients improve their brain function and reduce symptoms of a variety of conditions, including anxiety, depression, and ADHD. This is actually a non-invasive and painless treatment, which I have experienced myself, and it has been shown to be highly effective in helping people feel more balanced and in control of their lives. And we really deep dive into all of this during the interview. Stephanie also talks about how it all comes back to safety, essentially, creating the external safe space through a healing modality to integrate your trauma, which ultimately leads you to finding internal safety as you free your emotional blocks and you learn to trust yourself in the world again, which means then your entire world will become a safe place for you to exist in because as within, so without. I hope you enjoy this chat as much as I enjoyed recording it. And if you do, please jump online, rate, subscribe, and review. This for me will come back to a question of identity. 
because, um, you know, my, my mom is Japanese. My dad is mostly Western European and, uh, they come from two vastly different perspectives. And so growing up, um, with so many cultural nuances in a predominantly white area, there was this feeling of, um, not quite knowing who I was. I mean, there's, I, I didn't speak Japanese, so I didn't quite fit in with the Japanese kids and I, you know, don't look white. And, um, as we're coming into this cultural awakening now, I think that we're able to see that, um, when there's a dominant society, those values, uh, will not always make sense to people that are from different cultural backgrounds or who are biracial. And so I was often just very confused and felt a little othered and, and didn't quite know where my place was. And um, then, of course, I think that there's some intergenerational trauma that comes into play um, because my grandparents met in, in the internment camps. So the Asian way of doing things is often um, just sort of put your head down and work. And in order to assimilate in, into American culture, they changed their names and they relinquished a lot of aspects of identity. And so, um, you know, when, when I think about freedom and integration and being alive and feeling really good about yourself, it's, it's really, um, you know, this this nourishment of self-trust and connection. And that always felt quite elusive to me and, um, and always something that I was looking for. So I really began to search for that. I think, um, because I was in so much emotional pain in my youth. I mean, I, and it's not to say that there wasn't fun and joy and, um, and happiness, but there was also this feeling of, disconnection and and ultimately that's what I craved so uh I began that pursuit I think at the initial start of my college experience when I moved to San Francisco when I was so bad at college because all I was craving craving was the the love and the connection so it was like relationship relationships and uh and I didn't end up um pursuing my degrees until later my 20s was was really wandering through um who i who i wanted to be who i actually am and then um looking for for my tribe in a way so that lack of identity is that why you chose to study is it psychology that you have a ba in? yes yeah yeah, I mean, and so there was that desire. Yeah, I think that there's this desire for understanding. It was also initially motivated by me feeling like, you know, I didn't totally know what I wanted to do. And I but I knew that I wanted to get closer to myself. I knew that I wanted to get closer to understanding. And uh and as I've gone through, um there's so many different elements of um of therapy through the western framework that i think are um incomplete you know they're useful but um 
I, I believe in multimodality approaches and multimodality perspectives. And having all of those tools mm. really connect more to identity for me than just that framework. And being on the, I suppose, the outside, like not feeling like you fit in in either place or culture puts you in the position of the observer. And so you're already in a way um, observing society from that from that perspective that when we meditate, we're trying to get into that place where we're observing our own mind and our own thoughts. And at what point do you think you kind of were able to get into the space of actually observing your own behaviors so that you could then start to become like the master of your own destiny? Well, okay, so like this is what starts to speak to trauma and neurofeedback, right? So mm-hmm. I think that we have to understand um, is that we all have trauma to a certain degree. And for me um, and many other people, I think that certain elements of trauma begets more trauma. And so what happens to the brain when uh, people experience trauma for the most part, is that the frontal lobe functioning begins to diminish. And what activates is the limbic system. And so in my evolution, I think I became really hypervigilant, which is this byproduct of trauma, where, you know, tiny things can push someone into fight, flight, freeze. And what's less commonly discussed is fawn. You know, it's that people pleasing, the self abandonment that. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. You know, I heard that term for the first time the other day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, fawn, what is that? I've never heard of that. Yeah. It's fight, flight, or freeze. Totally. I'm across those. But fawn, I had no idea. And it's really most common amongst women, right? Because, you know, and there could be a biological imperative for that too, just in the physicality of our strength. Sometimes that's not going to be efficient to remove ourselves from scary situations. But the fawn is actually a very effective tool, you know, that we sort of learn to survive. And so for me, being able to really ground or to find safety um, had to do with understanding my responses and my reactions to things that did not warrant those trauma responses, that fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. But I felt myself go into that quite often without understanding it. And so in that sense, that's where psychology becomes um, incredibly helpful. And also where um, modalities like EMDR or neurofeedback become really helpful Mm. too. And, And this is what I really hope to see change as we evolve as a society, it's it's a mind-body-spirit approach. You know, like when things happen, it's not just like, oh, we have our mental health issues. It's like you're physiologically changed based on some of the things that happened to you. In fact, I, mm. I think we talked about this earlier. I can't remember if I told you, but um, there's a study, a few studies actually, that show um, that the the descendants of Holocaust survivors, two generations removed, will have um, different functioning in their HPA access. 
and the wait what's hpa access that is the the <laughs> let me make it simple basically what happened yeah layman's terms <laughs> that the amygdala in the brain will um release cortisol and epinephrine and certain neurobiological chemicals that um will have an impact on all the systems in your body so basically to the point People that have PTSD um, can pass on their trauma physiologically and it will impact digestion. They're more prone to depression or anxiety disorders, just certain nuances. But there are ways to, um, to help heal and improve um, those disorders by stimulating the brain in different ways, by reconditioning ourselves through technology to, um, you know, stimulate the autonomic nervous system. And that's what I do. <laughs> For the most part. Yes, that's yeah. a beautiful segue, I was about to say. Beautiful segue into what yeah. you do, which is um, neuromicrocurrent free- feedback, is it? And EMDR? Close. Yeah, it's micro. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah. It's microcurrent neurofeedback. Um, mm-hmm. and EMDR and a little bit, you know, and there's a little bit of everything. Cause there's also like somatic experiencing that comes through with that too. You know, mm. it's like building awareness of all of our responses and all of our desires and, you know, yeah. Yeah. So the word somatic, we hear it a lot, but for listeners who don't know what that means, could you just give us a brief understanding? For me, it's how your emotions, your thoughts, your feelings express themselves in your body. So when people say you store trauma in your body or, you know, this is why people, you know, who have trauma will have fibromyalgia, have digestive issues, um, you know, the endocrine system is disruptive. Mm. It's we're made of chemicals and electricity, and and we have responses. Like when we're anxious, our palms can get sweaty. You know, our hearts will beat faster. Um, another example is that when we're in a trauma response, when we find that fight, flight, freeze feeling, our normal instinct is to take a sharp inhale through our mouth. Because that sets the trajectory to, you know, fight, flight, freeze, or fun. And, you know, the opposite thing. So that's that's activating uh, your nervous system. To downregulate your nervous system, you would just want to do the opposite. You want to, like, extend your exhale. Breathe in through the nose. You know, control the breathing mm. by activating the parasympathetic tone. You know, like certain things like humming or hissing. That's why breath work is so powerful as we, you know, we work through whatever our reactions and triggers are. Mm, So somatic therapy is working with things like the breath and becoming aware so that we can, again, start to disrupt that pattern that we've learned between our mind and our body. Right. Or... um, understanding what your body is trying to tell you 
you know, like sometimes mm, I think people to the will dissociate so completely from their bodies. Um, sometimes because what is being experienced on the inside is too overwhelming, which in my personal opinion is why addiction happens. It's, you know, there's there's a cause behind these things. It's like, what are we trying to escape or how are we self-soothing? Um, because it can be really overwhelming to sit in those feelings and sensations. Yeah. Okay. So I've, I've got like two questions that I want to ask and we can figure out which is the most important to address first, logically. I guess the first one is I'd love to just know, you know, what is the um, micro neurocurrent feedback and what is EMDR? But then my other question is in terms of how those applications will help what I think um, the the two main, um, uh, I suppose, emotional responses that people who are in extended trauma experiences will ultimately reach, which is an anxiety state or a depressive state. And I know for me personally, I've always been prone to a depressive state, which has been quite inert and left me in just in a space of, of not being able to move forward sometimes. Whereas I know I have friends who move into high anxiety states and that leaves them absolutely buzzing and puts them in a, in a space of action, 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 action. And I'm grateful that that's never been my space, but alternatively the depression is a really unhappy place to live from as well. So I guess I want to know a little bit about how the tools that you use can help those two different spaces. Sure. Well, they they really intersect. So that's perfect. Um, so neurofeedback um, essentially helps you train the brain. And micro neurofeedback helps you disentrain your brain from fixed patterning. So when we talk about neural networks and um, habits and patterns of behavior of someone that's locked into trauma responses, as I said before, like our executive functioning, you know, where we process um, problems, where we problem solve, that can be really hard for people sometimes. It's really hard for people that are in depressive states. It's really hard for people that are in anxious states. And ultimately, the microcurrent neurofeedback helps to calm and achieve um, that down regulation because it's activating the autonomic nervous system. Um, I'm trying to keep it simple too because I, I don't want to. Yeah, I'm, no, I think it's worth it. Okay. Uh, I mean, ultimately, it sounds like the goal is to get into the autonomic nervous system. Yeah. Which is, which is the rest and digest versus the fight or flight, exactly. which is where our, all of those responses come from. Yeah. And so I know for me living in, ex, in extended sort of trauma state for most of my life, it took me a long time to let go and feel safe enough to rest inside my autonomic nervous system. Exactly. And now that I live inside that space, when I get jacked into my fight or flight, it's a real shock to me, but also I'm like, whoa, I remember when I lived in this space every single day. Mm, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, you can't really heal, right? Like if your body, 
you're noticing physiological issues, if you're sick, like a lot of the autoimmune disorders are common amongst people that suffer from trauma, you can't really heal when your body's body is being flooded with cortisol. You know, so these are the things that mm. when you're able to activate your nervous system, like you're saying, autonomic nervous system, you're able to rest, you know, and, and that's sometimes really rare for people is to just be able to sink into rest and calm and to feel safe. And in my experience, the microcurrent neurofeedback will help people feel that without having to do the heavy lifting that's the mental heavy lifting that is done in um, EMDR, for example. Oh, so tell us about EMDR. What, do, what does that look like a session of EMDR? You know, it depends. And I, and there's some, there's some misconceptions with EMDR too, because EMDR um, is, it's really a reprocessing. Of trauma and so initially it was rapid eye movement reprocessing but now it can be tapping you know it's about activating um both hemispheres of the brain so you know it's it's about creating bilateral stimulation because studies have shown um it's you know very evidence-based that it helps again to disrupt the fixed patterning so you don't drop into a trauma response when you're remembering something that was really um, painful for you. You're able to stop, activate your frontal lobe processing and sort of reorient yourself to understanding rather than escape. And um, I suppose, you know, the EMDR is, it's a part of therapy, but it's also, all of this is relational, right? Like if you force yourself to ex re-experience a trauma, but you're not necessarily ready to re-experience that or to build a different relationship or understanding to that, it can be really overwhelming. So all of these modalities should, in my opinion, be used together. You know, like one of the things I want to see in the world are treatment centers that have um, EMDR, somatic experiencing, neurofeedback, um, help people with mindfulness and a spiritual practice, acupuncture, massage, um, art therapy, because everybody mm. has a different relationship to themselves and a different relationship to their creativity and their trauma. And I really think that at the end of the day, healing is a dance. So EMDR can be really intense, right? Because you're basically asked to imagine, relive some of the most traumatic things that have ever happened to you. And then do a series of things that activate bilateral stimulation um, until you reprocess the memory, until you have a different association to the memory, until the memory can actually pass through you rather than overwhelm and overtake you. So what I like to do. I love that. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, what I like. To, I was just going to say, is that how you, how do you know when it's, the memory is reprocessed? It's because you will, you'll be able to think of it without being triggered? Yeah. 
Yeah, that and you just you can respond to the triggers differently. There's more space. It's like there's more space in your heart and your mind and your body to understand, to not take responsibility for it in a detrimental way if you were a victim of trauma. You know, to know that like that was them and this is you. Um a very difficult piece is um that people will sometimes want to you know, chop, chop, get through it like really fast. And that's mm. often not the way that healing works. It's not a force. It's relational, you know, like healing is a process. It's not a project. And so um, the EMDR is something that people are ready for or they're not ready for. You know, when you are really ready and you and I have talked about this before, when you're really ready to do the work, you know that it's painful. You know, it's it's not a quick fix. Reprocessing a memory forces you to be with the memory. And that can be really scary. I'm interrupting this awesome chat to tell you about one of my all-time favorite creations, the Chakra Meditations. A potent combination of Yoga Nidra, binaural beats and the chakra system. These meditations are designed to guide you into a deep state of relaxation where your nervous system can totally decompress and create the space for healing. I took my time crafting these meditation scripts because I wanted to make sure they resonated with every ounce of truth, transformation and light I could hold. Each individual meditation addresses the specific attributes of each chakra and has a soundscape composed by source vibrations that is attuned to the frequency of each chakra as well. So from the main root aspects of prosperity, grounding and belonging, all the way up to the bliss, self-reflection and enlightenment of the crown chakra, each meditation is going to take you on an intricately curated journey to energetic freedom. You can download them via the link in the show notes of this episode or on our website, urbanascension.co. That's C-O, not .com, urbanascension.co under the chakra banner. I can't wait for you to experience their magic. That's also why the microcurrent neural feedback is one of my all-time favorite therapies because of the way that it, it's like a calm that washes over you like I've had clients that um have experienced state right that they repressed that they had forgotten about from their child like teenage years and they're in their 50s and there was one woman who uh, was receiving the stimulations and she she uh, started to spasm and it was like this release of coming back into her body that she'd not been able to experience before. And I remember your first session when you had it, you had this calm. Yes. I mean, I would love to hear you talk I about did. it. Please. Um, why don't you remind me? I'm trying to think. It was literally December last year. Yeah. Wasn't it? And I remember you came. Yeah. I came in first of all to um, the place where you were. Mm -hmm. Now you're on your. You've created your own business. Mm -hmm. You've been so successful doing that. But originally, when you were just learning, you started at a different center. And I remember going in there and having this session, and it was. Yeah, I felt like. 
because I always go into these things, um, like I'm pretty hardcore when I'm ready for something to change. I'm very determined yeah. and I run at it. I remember you were like, <laughs> so I knew I was going in there. Yeah. If you wanted to, I was like, give it to the me. highest level too. It's like, <laughs> I did. <laughs> I was like, bring yeah. it. But what was interesting is I think we had three sessions all up and it definitely, um, while it calmed me, I think because I went in with the intention of I'm ready to clear certain things, it's like the calmness but at the same time the activation and the way I know I personally heal and process big things is like I almost – bring a a situation that is that mirrors the original trauma into my life so that I can live through it consciously and make new decisions or um, a lot of the old emotions and things will really come up and I'll feel like I'm inside it again but that is the process of releasing your trauma but I remember it really um, it brought things up but like you said then it moved things through yeah and they were gone after that. I'm so happy to hear that. And I, I should say to add, and I can't believe, I'm a little nervous, everybody. So I like start to talk and then I go off into segues. But there is a, an auditory stimulation component. So with neurofeedback, there's typically either a visual or an auditory stimulation component with traditional neurofeedback. And then with microcurrent neurofeedback, there's a tiny um, vibrational auditory stimulation and then we play music and so those are the things that helps to disentrain from the fixed patterning because it's also um measuring and calculating your own brain activity and putting those stimulations back in Mm. so to activate the autonomic nervous system and you are jacoby's sort of like the ideal client in some ways and i'm sure everybody feels this about you because you want to do the work and you're not going to repress the things that come up. And I think that that's the piece. It's like, if it's in there, you have to let it out. Like if it's the tearing or if it's the exhaustion. And there's this inherent wisdom, I think, that we have. Um, and our bodies are really telling us what we need sometimes. And you would let those things out. Or you would take a little neuro nap after session and... That was always really inspiring. It's like you're not afraid, not afraid to confront the things. And this is something um, Mm. my boyfriend said uh, the other day that I loved. It's like welcome rejection, you know, because the faster you feel it, the faster you can let it go and move on. And for me, it's the same with, um, with healing. It's like let's not deny ourselves the truth because the truth is ultimately what unlocks and helps to settle the body like the crying mm. that can come from these things the the sharing like the weight of a secret there's nothing like that 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 can crush someone's spirit so all of these tools all of these modalities are just like how do we integrate how do we individuate how do we yeah. live the life that we're really meant to be living and and that's really accessible to everybody so for me, when, you know, you were asking about this, it's like, yeah, I would love to talk about these things. And then I'm like, and the future is policy change. Like, I want to make these 
<laughs> accessible to everybody because they should be and they're needed because um you know the traditional yeah. model of western therapy is it needs more it's great you know but also therapy needs to be colonized in a certain way to integrate other cultural perspectives which are actually quite helpful and now i'm gonna sip it mm. and uh <laughs> Yes, that's <laughs> like, don't rock the boat too much. Um, so in terms then, looping all of this great juicy stuff back around to my question about the two different sort of main pathways people tend to go, whether it's depression or anxiety. The idea is that with um, EMDR, you can either choose to go indirectly to the the deepest part of your healing or you can use something like the neurofeedback which means you don't have to sort of I suppose consciously address something immediately but it gives you a peace and a relief from the the harsher aspects of things like anxiety and depression that brings you into a space of centeredness where you might then be able to start feeling strong enough inside who you are to look at the things that you need to let go of it's about safety right like i think yeah when you feel safe that's when you do the work and Mm. um and i would say to um anxiety and depression are are definitely to um you know, if you were if you were going to do a spectrum, you know, there's there's the anxiety and there's the depression, but I would even take it further into like dissociative states. You know, like dissociative identity disorder is actually um, it's like a fragmentation of the self. You know, when something happens and people are not able to hold it, it's not just like this sinking into depression. It's actually like I'm going to let different parts of myself take responsibility and hold certain memories so that other parts can be free so um and then they divide divide themselves from the part that's holding the pain or the memory Mm -hmm. and they just live inside of the aspects of themselves that are free of that yeah so i have a client um whom i love i she's one of my favorite people and Uh, She had significant medical trauma when she was young. And um, so there would be parts that would come forward that would take the pain and hold on the, uh, like hold the pain, hold the trauma. And then there would be parts that were kids that like wanted to just celebrate and be friends. And as she got older, um, different parts would start to emerge different roles and and it's really kind of amazing because um this fragmentation you know certain it's almost as though some of these parts have different nervous systems you can see the change in the eyes you can see the um you know one of the parts needs less insulin than a lot of the other parts you know it's just there's physiological changes that can happen and so when we look at the complexity of being human, of um, finding the right modality at the right moment, um, 
it's it's complicated. It's a complicated question. It's it's like dating, you know. Like most of us don't、mm. marry the first person that we fall in love with when we're like twelve years old, and it's that sort of thing that I would want to encourage people to do, not just with、um, you know the modality that they're working with, but their healers and their therapists, and so. Going back to this client that I used as the dissociative example, that's really the full spectrum for me. It's like this depressive component where you have to fragment yourself so completely to、um, to survive. Now, her treatment, and it really depends on what she decides is best for her. She, you know, grows into who she feels most comfortable as. Is do I integrate these parts, or does it serve me more to、um, keep them separate? Like let these people that have supported me live, and that's really the question that we're always、mm. asking ourselves. And and people that are therapists or in the healing field, it's how do we create、uh, integration? And that's really what EMDR is to a certain degree. It's the reprocessing so that there's an integration of body, mind, soul, deep peace, calm. Same thing with the、mm. neurofeedback. It's like, how do we just downregulate so you feel safe? So for me, the the end result can be really similar,、um, and it also doesn't work for a lot of people. And that's why you know there's so many different types of ERD, EMDR. There's like the rapid eye movement、mm-hmm. reprocessing, which can be way too much. You know, that's why like the tapping is much more gentle. You know, and and how you rework、mm-hmm. those.、Um, Those memories is—it's a dance. There's a framework, but it's different for each person. And then similar to the the bandwidth, like as an example, when people are、uh, in those highly anxious states, they'll be in high beta, right? And like they're basically like,、mm-hmm. I need to fight, run, get out of here. When it's dissociative, as you're talking about.、Um, It can be so disembodied. It can be so disconnected that you can drop down into like delta deep sleep brainwave sometimes, like catatonia. Wow! Like that's okay. So that's how people are trying to literally numb themselves. Yeah, and and by separating so far from themselves that they can stay in a a, a space of of calmness. It's like a Drug almost.、Yeah. Well, and it, it's interesting because that's also, you know, a lot of ketamine clinics are popping up, and、um, that's essentially what it it can do too. It's like depending on your dosage, it can drop you down into those lower brain waves, so that people are not feeling or experiencing so much anxiety all the time.、Um, Right. So, if you once you have the experience once, so how does this start to shift anxiety? Because once you have, let's say, you do all these things and and you go into a space and you have your first real experience of peace. From that point on, is it that, as with any new information you receive, you can't unknow it. You can try to fight it and ignore it, but at some point, if you don't want resistance and blockages in your life, you need to accept the new piece of information and move forward. So. If you have finally had this experience of deep rest, is it that then your body has a new knowing, and so you can start to learn how to come back to that and spend more and more time in that space? Is that how you counteract the anxiety, or is it 
I'm just wondering if once someone has this experience once, is it like the fix or is it something that once their body has touched, it becomes part of their understanding of who they could be? And so from that point on, they're constantly or there's a desire like with opium even that you you want to seek that space again now that you've found it. And so you continue to want to do the things that will take you back to the space. Like how does it all work? So, I mean, this is – I'm glad you asked this because um, – so there was a study just recently out of UCSD that was released on the microcurrent neurofeedback. And what they did is they took um, veterans – who had sustained traumatic brain injuries. And when you sustain traumatic brain injuries, the the brain, there's a lot of neuroplasticity, like the brain can regenerate itself. But injuries uh, can vastly impact mood, behavior, character, personality. Um, And outside of the clinical benefits, which was reduced anxiety, reduced depression, just a reduction in troublesome symptoms uh, all the way around. You could see when you put people through these MEG and fMRI scans, improvement in the areas where injuries occurred. So, you know, it's not just um, this sense, this feeling, like the clinical experiences that we're able to measure. We're actually able to see this is changing the brain. And as I said before, you know, trauma does change the brain. Trauma changes the body. So if you're able to generate, to, to create a, an opportunity for regeneration, which is what this is leading to, we are still just learning about the implications mm. of that, right? And so, um, but from this therapeutic framework too, depending on why someone is seeing me for neurofeedback or EMDR, my answer may change. You know, it's sometimes if it's a physical injury, that could potentially require less, you know, than like the, an emotional pain of an abusive childhood or a sexual trauma. Mm. And so with, in those cases, it comes back to safety. It's like, how do we make safety fun? You know, like, when do you stop? When do you pause? Like, can you, can you pause? Like, can you use your voice if we're in an EMDR session and it's getting to be so much? Can you advocate for yourself just to say, I need a minute? Because those are the interventions that are applicable to real life scenarios. You know, it's like you're fighting with your lover or you're getting really upset or you're feeling violated in some ways. It's like how... Because what happens in those therapy rooms, it's challenging, but it's also, you know, you're safe, right? It's like, that's when you know you're really taken care of and you're feeling good. The greater work happens when you're out in the world and you're able to utilize some of these tools and, and the modalities that I've spoken about really are just, from my perspective, creating space in your brain so that you can make choices that serve you. Right. That's okay. That's a great answer. So it's not just the experience of rest and digest, but your brain is actually changing to the point where when you experience something that would normally trigger you, you actually have and can hold enough sense of self to make a new choice in that moment rather than just 
automatically hitting the trigger switch. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's always complicated to talk about the neurobiological changes that are happening with Mm. the emotional Mm. tool stuff. And, you know, the science is evolving. Neuroscience is in its infancy. So is consciousness studies, you know, like... I was reading something the other day about the interdependency that um, exists in nature with certain trees. You know, like some through their roots will offer more carbon monoxide when one needs it and like take it away. It's this dance and everything's this is is this dance and, and figuring out what works for us as individuals, it's like spiritual beings and human bodies. Um, is really the gift that we're given in this life, um, free will. Yeah. And we've, um, this question has been just floating around in my mind. So I want to ask it because we were talking about EMDR and framing it in such a way that you, if you really want to go in on your trauma and, and reprocess those traumatic events, you will use that as a potential tool. I, with my own trauma, one of the ways it, it expressed itself was in extreme fear of heights. And this is coming back to the idea of creating safety internally, like extreme, like absolutely petrified, could not walk even remotely close to the edge of a cliff, freaked out on a balcony, like extreme sense of heights, couldn't dive off a diving board. Yeah. And but what's interesting, as as I grew and really went in deeper and deeper and deeper on my trauma, which I always knew, um, well, I knew with what the instigated it, and I knew the defining events. As time's worn on, I've started to discover the full impact on my brain of the lesser events surrounding that. But for a longer, the longest time, I held on to the main event, and that as I worked on that and created safety, my fear of heights completely disappeared Mm. to the point where I could walk up to the edge of a cliff now and just sit on the edge and dangle my legs over and look down and go wow it's a good day to die but like Mm -hmm. (laughs) not not in a bad way but just in in a you know you know this is life I'm living and I'm not afraid like this fear that would be inside me previously with heights is completely absolutely gone Mm. and so with EMDR Let's just say someone was only aware of their fear of heights and had repressed the greater trauma that created the unsafety that created the fear of the heights. Would you, could you work with them on using EMDR just at that level? Could you just work with, okay, imagine yourself walking on a balcony and could you use EMDR there and start to unpack that in layers going backwards to the revelation of the greater trauma? Um, so... I'm not sure that that's the first intervention that I would use in that scenario because it's not a memory, it's a fear. So what I, and again, it depends on the person, you know, it sometimes, like Mm -hmm. an example, as you were sharing, I wanted to ask like, well, what does the fear feel like? You know, like what are the somatic experiences you're experiencing And then I would ask, Mm -hmm. have you ever experienced that before? Is there a situation, a scenario where that has really come up for you? You know, there's also Mm -hmm. um, an element of control, you know, like you're at the edge of a cliff, you know, 
you don't always have control. You, you could fall off, you know, and then it's just like, well, what could happen if you fall off? How would it impact the people that love you? What do you think that you would feel? It's, it's, it's more of an exploration of the fear. And then in that sense, I would imagine that it could lead potentially to the traumatic memory. Um, but there's not, you know, there's nothing to reprocess. You know, if someone fell off the cliff and that was their traumatic memory, that could be. Gotcha. That's the, that's the memory. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so what about then in our childhood, if we're thinking back to times, you know, when you're like, oh, well, I know this thing happened when I was four or three. And of course you're through the mind of a child. Did it happen in the way you think now as an adult it happened? Like, but can you work with EMDR to try to reprocess a memory that may or may not be true because your young mind is so young? Is that it, absolutely is it real or not? Yeah. I guess. Yeah. And it's really important to do that in order to create understanding for it. You know, it's oh, in right. that sense, it can almost be like a memory retrieval. You know, so that can help to you know I had one client at the trauma center who um she knew something had happened to her um she was in her Mm -hmm. mid-20s by the time she was there she had known something that had happened to her and um it created such a imbalance for her such a fear that she developed borderline personality disorder and Throughout the work, throughout the EMDR, and I didn't treat this. I had neurofeedback with this client, but somebody else was doing her EMDR. But through the EMDR, she was able to um, to figure out at what age the trauma had occurred, um, who the trauma had occurred with, and begin to reprocess some of those associations. And I saw an oh, incredible wow. transformation. And that all, I think, happened because she was able to finally understand her truth and understand what had happened to her. But she was also in an environment that was safe enough for her to really begin to do the work. Um, was, she's mm. an amazing person. She's doing so well. Never met anyone that just rapidly That's changed beautiful. her life because of the work she was doing. but that shows you the power of doing of this work if of the integration work mm-hmm. if we can recover a memory we where we don't know of but that's impacting us or if we have the courage to confront a memory that we know of that's impacting yeah. us if we can clear that and integrate that we recreate safety in ourselves and once we are safe again that's when all of the rest of our beautiful talents and abilities start to blossom and flourish and we just naturally start attracting and magnetizing the life that we really want to be living. Agreed, right? And if we can feel safer, we can take more, you know, appropriate risks. We can pursue our dreams and are anchored in mm. our value system and knowing what it is that we want as opposed to throwing ourselves out there and, and wanting somebody to create value or see value in us. It, it gives you that backbone of identity, you know, and that's where the integration, that's where the individuation happens. 
And it, for me, it really does come wow. down to safety. You know, when we're safe, when you can cry, when, you know, you can be loved and cried and have someone who really sees you and understands you. I have, like, done so You've done so much. that For me, there's very few things that feel better than to just be held and to be loved mm. in a scenario where you feel vulnerable. Mm. And there is nothing better than having the safety to express yeah. a fear or concern and having someone just be with you through that and there's no judgment and just as quickly as a laughing fit will pass the crying and vulnerable yeah. space can pass if we just let us flow through us and allow ourselves to be seen yeah. inside of that the anchoring and your identity knowing that you need mm. to express that and that that is okay and this is a really beautiful space because we started with your personal journey of identity mm. and now we're talking about the anchoring of identity and so my question is have you found that in yourself through all of this work that you've been doing on yourself and with others yeah. Again, you know, like, we're not projects. Like, it's not this, like, completion. It's this, um, it's mm -hmm. a dance for me. And maybe for somebody else, it's like, no, I've achieved, like, self-actualization. That's it. I'm totally at peace. Um, for me, because I still have goals uh, that I want to pursue, that I am still taking risks to accomplish certain things um, that I dream about, that I'm still willing to have tough conversations with family members so that we can get closer. You know, like the willingness mm. to, to hold myself accountable when um, I slip into an old pattern or um, to forgive. You know, I, I don't think that those opportunities ever cease to exist and you know if they mm. they did maybe we wouldn't be alive so as i age <laughs> good point but like as i age you know maybe i will get to this place where you know i'm like yoda or the dalai lama and things are just you know like totally i'm in nature i am i don't need more i'm fully content um right now and i mean that's the that's the ultimate sense of self-actualization right. i suppose but is it in terms of the need to f to know where you fit is the sense of finding a sort of a fit inside you it doesn't mean that we don't have all of our our history behind us that still comes through us sometimes but that finding that place inside yourself where you're like, well, I fit in me and that's, yes. that's okay. Yeah. It may not be a perceived fit in the outside world because it's only ever our perception of whether we fit or not. But I yeah. feel like as I've gotten older and I'm just learning how to embrace myself and realize that, and find my own fit, like the jigsaw puzzle of me, rather than trying to jigsaw puzzle myself into everybody around me, that I found a calmness from which I can take those risks that you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Um, for mm. me, when I listen to you talk about it, I feel like a home. Like, do I feel at home in myself? Am I really mm. taking myself yeah. 
everywhere I go or am I abandoning myself in some way? And I don't abandon anymore. I'll still speak sometimes and go like, ooh, maybe like that was intense. I have PMS today. Sorry, it came off too strong. You know, like those <laughs> things where I, I have to yeah. like just, you know, like who do I want to be? out in the world but do I feel home with myself yes and I will also say um that when I'm alone you know like that's the easy point to be with myself but it's when I'm like with my partner for example like if he's you know hurt my feelings in some way or if I've hurt his feelings in some way and you know like the vulnerability of then connecting in that moment I'll use my therapist as an example you know like when I if because I I have to have a therapist um it's it's actually part of licensure requirements and I loved her you know and because I love her I want her to like me you know I want her to approve sometimes and then it's just like oh but then I'm not like trusting her you know like I'm not creating scenarios where we can experience something that's charged to work out with, you know? And, and so it's that, it's mm-hmm. like our work is, is sometimes not done alone. It's done with other people, um, especially those really close relationships. And, and I think that is, uh, is, is the hardest part, the hardest time to anchor into identity is when you want to give everything mm-hmm. that you have to give. Um, but then still stay with your values. The not abandoning of the self. Like I love that term um, because it's something I'm constantly on the lookout for with me. And I'm like, wait, am I abandoning myself to, to support and serve this other person, but at the cost of myself? And yeah, so I love that you said that because that's definitely a place that I'm settling into now, learning how to not abandon myself and take myself with me everywhere I go. I like that idea of the home within me. Yeah, I love that you said that too. And it, mm. it speaks like, I think it's an issue uh, that particularly speaks to like what all of my favorite women have in common, right? Like this, like, oh, I want to take care. I want to connect. And then like this feeling of like, but where did I go? You know, and, and that, um, sometimes I've been having my schedule, my, my clients like schedule things for like schedule, like I want to appreciate, you know, nature for 15 minutes. Like I want to take care of myself. Like Mm. I want to prioritize that as much as making money or paying my rent. The two modalities that you're currently working with people can we will link your website and people can find you is this something that they need to work with you in person or can it be done online it can be done well the neurofeedback obviously has to be done in person um the emdr can be done just so people know that's where you actually get like little suction caps attached to your head and you get like little electric shocks. <laughs> so it's a, it's a, it's a physical thing that needs to happen. By the way, you don't feel them. <laughs> you were not like, no, no, we're not yeah. no. <laughs> no, uh, yes. Yeah. So they're just like little EEG electrodes. It's very nice. I'll probably do a session mm. on myself after this. 
Yeah. And so with also then the EMDR and the, the somatic and the, the more, I guess, um, psychological aspects of what you do, that can people can schedule an online session with you? Yes, they can. They can schedule a free consultation. It'll be 15, 20 minutes. And um, also, I'm a big believer in this. If something uh, is, is communicated where I end up feeling like I have someone that's a better fit, I'm going, I'm happy to refer people out. So, yes, you can see me. We'll see if it's a good fit because I, I think that's such an important part of therapy is finding, you know, like you find your partner, the right therapist to work with. Mm. So, yes, you can, we can have a consultation, everybody. <laughs> Perfect. Everybody, <laughs> jump online and find Steph now. She's the most loving, nurturing, caring soul who really just does want what's best for everybody in the world. Thanks, Jacoby. I love you. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> I hope this episode has inspired you to keep going on what can sometimes be a tough road to inner peace and true happiness. If you want to dive deeper into what we talked about today, go to thehealingcocoon.co for show notes and all things personal growth. And don't forget, if you're loving The Healing Cocoon, then put that love into action and subscribe, rate and review on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you download your podcasts. And until next time, my friends, let's rise and shine together.